Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Multidimensional Journey. This is your host, Ayahuasca Carr, and today I am talking with uh, Jonathan Schechter. He shares with us how Buddhism and Buddhist concepts can help uh, heal trauma. And actually, we both kind of share um, our insights and our journey. Uh, so super excited to be here with you guys. And uh, before we dive into that, we will hear from our sponsors. And welcome back to the multidimensional journey. This is your host, Ayahuasca Carr. And today we have an incredible special guest, Jonathan Schechter, actually back for the second time. Holler. That's right. And um, as you may or may not know, Jonathan is um, my partner, and now we're business partners. So this is great, right? Um, and uh, Last week, we had Carlos Tanner on here from the Ayahuasca Foundation, and we talked a lot about um, how ayahuasca really helps find and uncover um, repressed traumas and really brings them to the light in these really uh, beautiful and incredible ways. Um, and I felt really inspired to um, Jonathan's, and you know, he has studied and practiced Tibetan Buddhism for and mindfulness. Uh, for a really long time. And I thought, uh, I have found in my own work that Zen Buddhism and mindfulness and now Tibetan Buddhism has been uh, really helpful in, in healing and um, in trauma work. So I thought we could have a conversation around um, how Buddhist concepts or Buddhism can, can help trauma survivors. Okay. Yeah, so uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm Jonathan. Um, I started practicing um, Buddhism in 2003. Um, on the last podcast, we talked about sort of that and my journey that led me to live in Tibet for a year um, at my teacher's monastery and uh now um you know i'm working on integrating parts of my practice into uh you know breathwork practice and into uh, you know facilitating um and teaching people mindfulness and breathwork and uh integration and yeah it's definitely an important part of my life nice nice um, yeah, so I guess we can just talk a little bit about, you know, in my own, uh, journey with, um, healing from a lot of things, um, definitely at the root of all of them has been, uh, trauma, uh, mainly childhood trauma. Um, and you can speak to this in the way that, that feels good for you. Um, I have found concepts of mindfulness and breathing as just a way to get a grasp on, the reality that's happening right now in the present moment rather than being caught up in um you know a reality that is is replaying from the past mm. um, that happens a lot uh, with trauma survivors um and there's you know and so i feel like kind of when i think about trauma recovery i i, I see it definitely we were talking about this earlier i look at it in phases mm -hmm. and i feel like in the beginning that's what a lot of what helped me. Um, and then kind of the more 
I healed and I opened up my mind and my consciousness to, to other realities or different ways of thinking, um, there was, there was a spiritual component probably always there, but I just didn't know how to access it. Um, and there's definitely been like some Tibetan Buddhist deities that I had no idea about to be super honest until I met you. Um, and that's been interesting aside from like, you know, sitting and meditating and focusing and breathing, which are all these really like foundational things. Um, uh, but really utilizing the, uh, there's so many deities. I don't, I, I don't even know, but one in particular, uh, Mahakala, like using that as like a, in trauma work, they call it resourcing. So use, using that as like a resource to help me feel more protected or feel, Mahakali is a deity that is, um, he looks really, really scary on the outside, but he's really not. He's just a really good protector and really his, his main goal is, um, to provide love and compassion. That's the short yeah. version of it. Um, he's but, that part of, he's that part of compassion that involves protection. Yes. Exactly. And so when I when I read about him, I was like, oh, what a great way to um, access something inside of myself that maybe I feel I'm not as strong as I want to be, but it would allow me to, um, you know, help that in, inner child, for example, that never got that yeah. protection. Um, so so the, I'm just kind of trying to give like the listeners examples of like how Buddhist concepts can be integrated into trauma healing. Sure. Um, and you can share about, you know, how you've integrated into your own uh, healing journey and like how what your vision is for, you know, helping other people. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I like your idea because on a certain level, on a certain perspective, the the deities um, that you do practice for in the Tibetan tradition. It cut off there, so just keep going. Yeah, no. So from a from a certain perspective, the meditational deities are a reflection of enlightened activity and compassion. Um, in the same way that you know the the concept of when we look at other people, we see things in their behavior or in their actions that reflect things about us that we might not like, um, you know, to, to visualize yourself as the deity is to sort of the opposite of that is to, you know, try to, to take on those enlightened qualities, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then like you mentioned, it's not always just, uh, like love and flowers and peacefulness, although there's plenty of deities like that, you know, part of compassion is protection. Part of compassion is, fierce action you know the the example that i always think about is if uh you know if a parent yells at their kid because they're going to put their hand on their stove or do something that's dangerous they might become very fierce to impress upon the child like the severity of of the consequences of those actions but that doesn't mean that they are you know not coming from a place of love and caring um, for me, you know, something that's been coming up when we started to talk about having this conversation and a couple of other conversations that I've had recently is, um, being able to separate 
the action and the reality from what in Buddhism is considered the suffering of suffering. So yeah, there's, there's things that have, that have happened. Um, most likely that we all prefer never happened. And, you know, I, I might wish that it had never happened. Um, but if I can't eventually work through it and accept it and let it go, then I might continue to cause myself more suffering, um, either by denying it or by ruminating over it in my mind and, um, you know, the, the ways that I'm uh, trying to cope with not accepting the situation, you know, like in my own life, um, my, my parents divorced when I was four. Um, that has not always been a very positive part of my life. And, um, you know, in my teenage years, I um, disassociated a lot with drugs and alcohol because I couldn't really handle the emotions that were coming up around that. So creating more suffering um, as a result of not being able to kind of deal with the reality mm -hmm. or deal with the, my feelings around it. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned like, you mentioned denial and uh, something else, but I think, yeah, for me, like I, I subconsciously denied a lot of the things that I endured hmm. uh, for my trauma. So it was really hard to even identify with what was happening inside my own suffering. Mm -hmm. I didn't have um, the language around it. I didn't realize that emotional neglect was something that was traumatic. I had I had no idea for most of my life. Um, it wasn't until I actually read about it that it kind of mirrored some experiences inside of me that um, I could awaken to the suffering and actually kind of um, begin to look at it rather than kind of, you said rumination. Mm -hmm. I really like how you said that. Yeah. Um, Cause I was, you know, rumination reminds me of just being stuck in, in one's head and constantly mulling over something, um, which, you know, a lot of humans suffer from. Right. Um, but I think Buddhism offers um, not only solutions, but ways out, you know, I think it's obviously, um, it's not the only way, just, this is what we're talking about today. We're talking about everything on here. Um, but it's definitely a, a way, um, out of the suffering to actually begin to create distance and to, to heal. Um, yep. yeah, I want, I don't know what you, what else you want to talk about? I, I, was heard you talking about compassion earlier, which I feel like is one of the the biggest concepts in in um, Buddhism that can really be healing um, and being present and being aware um, and creating space um, to understand oneself to to be compassionate with oneself to accept yeah. oneself. Yeah, there's well, there's tons of different practices around um, compassion for yourself and for others. And I think that's an important part of, of trauma work as well, right? Is, is getting to a point where you forgive yourself, where you forgive the other 
um, parties that were involved. Um, and um, like one of the main practices of compassion is called uh, Tonglen, um, which is exchanging self with others. Um, and where, you know, basically you're visualizing taking on the the pain and suffering of others and then returning it to them as like as white light as mm -hmm. as clearing that mm -hmm. um and the one of the, the first questions that comes up in regards to that practice is like fear mm. you know if, uh, is saying like hey i i can barely take care of my own pain and suffering now I'm supposed to take on the pain and suffering of, you know, everybody else. And I actually asked that question to, um, to, a, a, a llama once. And basically what he said was that when I'm experiencing something uncomfortable, when I'm experiencing suffering, it's enough to that, 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 that suffering, that my suffering is, um, uh, representative of the suffering that everybody else is feeling and that 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 that's one of the key concepts here right is is coming to a realization that we're all going through the human experience we're all experiencing things that we don't like we're all not getting our way um, we all suffer from you know sickness from disease from death um, from losing people that we care about, um, amongst a myriad of other things, right? And that when you look at it from that perspective, we're we're all the same. Right. You know, we all want happiness. We all want to avoid suffering. And um, the Tonglen practice is is really really powerful. Um, you know, um, my main teacher, Garchen Rinpoche. He was in a Chinese you know, labor prison for 20 years when the Chinese government took over Tibet. And um, that was his main practice, was Tonglen. And the, a, a, common, um, a common anecdote or a common story that's shared amongst the, the masters, the, the lamas from that time period, you know, like... His Holiness the Dalai Lama is talking to these these prisoners, these people that were you know in 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 prison for long time. I mean, right. twenty years is a long time, right? And when you see Garchin Rinpoche, like you've never seen somebody that's so happy and so joyful and so compassionate. You would never ever guess that this person not only had lived such an incredibly difficult life, but like was actually in prison for 20 years. Right. right? right. And that, you know, the, his holiness, the Dalai Lama talked about interviewing these lamas and asking them like, what was the worst thing that you went through when you were in prison? Mm -hmm. And that the common thread was an answer that was along the lines of, I, I was, I was in danger of, losing compassion for the people that were, um, you know, imprisoning me and to, to have that kind of, um, compassion, 
to have that kind of understanding of our hum our shared human condition mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think is incredibly powerful because right. I know that like I get upset sometimes if somebody like cuts me off in traffic or you know looks at me wrong because I'm not wearing a mask in a supermarket or something you know right now I mean there's so many things that are are triggering and are almost working to make us feel separate and not you know together in in our shared humanity and our shared suffering so the the thought of being able to endure 20 years of hard labor and still have a smile on my face is pretty incredible to me and i think it for me it also like demonstrates that if um if they can do it then i could do it and what are the methods that they used to accomplish that Mm -hmm. and you know what a what a generous gift that they would share that with other people wow yeah that's um that's no joke um with uh garchin and being like this this happy person you see after he's been through everything he's been through jonathan's obviously known him longer than me but when we went up there in january when we did the first podcast I had saw him for the first time and I was like, you know, totally blown away and impressed and just, I mean, that's not even the right word, but. Yeah, he has uh, a presence. There we go. Yeah, just uh, an incredible uh, human. And, you know, I really like how you brought up separateness because I've actually experienced this because I've had, I've had a lot of moments of enlightenment. I probably had, have had more moments of, uh. I mean, just uh, uh, statistics alone, because I was in my suffering for like 27 years, and then I began to wake up around that time. Um, So I'm only 32 (laughs) now. Um, But when you're when you are in your suffering, when you're so in it, it's like this, it's a it is a paradox, because it will lead you to what, what I think and what is also known as like the dark night of the soul, which is like a rebirthing into this, this desire to live a different way, to know that this can't be the only way. Mm. Um, and, but when you're in it, it does, you think you're the only one, you mm-hmm. know, it creates separate separateness, um, in, in Buddhism, what I've learned, they refer to that as samsara. And, um, there's, there's a, a lot of, lack of compassion for yourself and definitely for others because whatever is happening internally we will reflect on the outside um and we were kind of talking about this earlier like when you begin to take deeper dives into yourself when you start to take emotional risks with yourself and that means like asking for help or knowing just being even curious so that there could be a different way to live um you you, you start to heal and you grow and you realize that's not the only place to be. And it, it kind of allows you to see, to open your eyes, to realize that like, that's kind of what you were saying. Like, that's how other humans are. You know, we're all trying to evolve or trying to, we've all had some sort of pain. Um, and the suffering isn't a place that you have to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, though, you know, because that's challenging to realize. Yeah. Um, I think suffering is a is a great teacher. 
if you allow it to be, and then if you take the right courses of action with it. Yeah. It could be very, kind of like you were talking about, drugs and alcohol and, you know, it leading to another path. Um, so um, you had said something else that I wanted to highlight. Um, I forgot what it was, though. Um, but, yeah, you know, being able to go through these these processes um i think it was i think it was about like how the tonglen practice like taking on the like basically being an empath mm. right and like taking that on and like transmuting it basically yeah. f- for the other person mm-hmm. um and i think that's that's a a great way to realize like you could do that for yourself and then also yes. to connect with with others yeah um it truly is in the separateness that we all suffer, that we get inside, we get way too internal and not in the beautiful introspective way. It's in the way of, um, it's harsh, it's rigid, it's critical, it's judgmental. Um, and then when you open to other states of consciousness, like feeling connected, um, uh, being in your heart space, you know, all of that kind of like almost disappears. Yeah. Um, in the, in various practices, it talks about how the root of all the afflictive emotions is self-grasping is being, you know, this is happening to me or why isn't this happening to me? Um, and the root of all the virtuous, um, emotions, the virtuous actions are caring for others is you know having compassion for others is realizing that if we've had an infinite amount of rebirths um if we've been doing this dance an infinite amount of times that everybody has been your mother um at some point and that you should treat them with the same love and care and compassion that you would care for your own mother. And of course, you know, it's Mother's Day today. So, you know, that's, um, you know, very, uh, it's very impressed upon people's minds. You know, we went to Whole Foods earlier and um, just noticing all the people in line buying flowers. Um, You know, there's at least one day a year where we really care about, somebody else right that we would do anything to show them how much that we care about them and and let them know and um you know a lot of the time i think we're not we don't have that awareness um you know we're walking around really um more concerned about our well-being um i know for myself like driving is a, a perfect example um, you know, just being caught up in where I'm going and what I'm doing and how could that person cut me off or is driving too slow in front of me, you know, things like that. Um, I like what you said though, about, um, you know, the, the path of suffering leading to a a better place, you know, leading to a place of enlightenment. You know, I think that's, that's a that's a piece of the Buddha's story that I always appreciate about you that you've been able to um, identify with and kind of integrate into your life 
is that you know the the buddha had to see suffering and then endure suffering um some of it self-inflicted um to actually Amen. get to a place of enlightenment right um it's something that being in recovery um i think is a very important um part of the journey and the wisdom that one gains through doing the work is um you know in, in like in the 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 alchemist the book the alchemist is the same right he goes through all these different experiences he goes through building a business and traveling and doing mm -hmm. this thing looking for this thing outside of himself yeah. when really it was inside of himself the whole time right. and that the the journey was the the important part right um in zen buddhism they talk about the finger pointing at the moon mm -hmm. um that you know the the finger is necessary to know where to look otherwise you wouldn't be able to see you know you wouldn't know where to, to look for the moon mm -hmm. but that the finger is important and i've always related that to the suffering or struggle to get to um a place of liberation wow. you know and, and even even in the buddhist practice like one of the things that the buddha said was you know if you you need you need a boat to cross the shore you need a, a boat to cross the river to get to the other shore mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then once you've gotten to the shore you don't need to keep carrying the boat with you right you know so um it's almost like a paradox that right. we need some sort of adversity some sort of struggle some sort of suffering right. to get to a place of liberation um and i think for me at least at the root of that is 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 some sort of acceptance yeah of that right you know and and, and letting go you know letting go of the anger right. uh letting go of the hurt um right. and for me personally some of that goes back to that self-grasping right you know how could they do this to me right right um when you can i can hopefully separate that suffering of suffering right right you know i can say yeah this thing happened and it sucked and i really prefer that it would never happen right right but to continue to tell myself stories right, right. to continue to create more suffering around right, it suffering, is right. not not helping me right right um it's not and uh, i think you just bathing yourself in suffering will hopefully get one to that point. I think everyone, it's my belief that people come into this life for different reasons mm. and different timelines. And, um, and it's good to know that there's different ways to get there, different tools. Um, and, and yeah, um, a lot can be born born out of that suffering and i think there is you, you you said like ultimately yes acceptance and then um it might sound strange but i actually think a lot once you kind of get through that part like for me with with all the practices i've done um 
including 12-step, EMDR, ayahuasca, anything I can really throw myself into. Um, <laughs> I, th I think it's funny, though. It's like it's like you've done all these causes and conditions for suffering, but then like once you cross over and you've um, seen a different way, you kind of get into these other uh these other things, which is, which is great. Right. Um, but I've definitely cultivated a joy for life. Uh, for the most part, I would say I'm still human. Um, and, a a um, a way to see life as a miracle mm. because to overcome the amount of suffering that, you know, I have or anyone who's gone through trauma is, I mean, that truly is to, to see that you were able to go through what you went through and survive and live through it. It's like, fuck dude, this is great. Now we actually get to live life, you know, um, uh, on your terms. Um, cause when you're in suffering, you feel like the world is against you. But when you wake up, you realize that you, you know, life comes from inward, you know, that's where the power is. And, and, um, and you know more about this. I mean, that's what all the practices in Buddhism are around is like the internal work and, you know, cultivating, um, I don't want to say power, um, or control even a, a, an internal peace, yeah. but I don't even think that's what it is. You can um, explain more. A recognition of our own, um, divinity, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, of Buddha nature, right? You know that um, in Buddhism they talk about that there's no inherent uh, existent to any any one thing. Mm -hmm. That things are just are relative. That they're made up of causes and conditions. But that the reason that enlightenment and, and liberation is possible is because we all possess this seed, this inherent quality of Buddha nature. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That like, if we didn't have that, mm -hmm. then we would never be able to reach liberation. Right. So like, the sometimes it's described as like, if you, if you had like a gold statue, mm -hmm. and you covered it in like mud and shit and, you know, paint and all whatever else, it, there would still be this gold statue underneath, but you couldn't see it. And then as you stripped away those different layers of things that are keeping you from seeing what's at the core. Like the suffering or yeah, the programming yeah. or the karmic layers. Right. Um, so a lot of the practices are about um, getting to a point where you can recognize that true nature and the, the, the relative path that leads you to get to that place of recognition is compassion, is giving up the self-grasping, is caring for others. Um, and I think that from a human place, a lot of that is just is seeing the how my story is not unique you know, that my story is reflected in other people Absolutely. is that the suffering that I feel is the same suffering that that person feels, right. um, that we're not separate. Right. Right. I think I, I like, um, yeah, I like how Jack Cornfield talks about the practice or the, you know, the way that he teaches, 
Um, probably, I mean, I bought Buddhism for Beginners in, in, on, on Audible in 2012. I don't think I actually listened to it until like this past year. I like really listened to it. Um, and he talks about like being cultivating like the, and most, uh, Buddhism talks about this or mindfulness practices, um, as being the observer. So like when, you know, anger consciousness comes up, being able to label it and hold internal space for it, being like, oh, this is anger consciousness. Like I'm angry right now or, um, like sadness consciousness or joy consciousness or, um, a lot of what has helped me has being able to observe and describe what's happening inside um, on my best days uh, non-judgmentally um, yeah. and just creating that space internally because um, then you're not coming from a place of reactivity. I think the reactivity is really important because how much, how much of what, we suffer from in terms of trauma is actually post-traumatic reaction, post-traumatic stress. Yes. So if, if our experience is colored by a, something that happened in our childhood um, and we continue to react that way, like, oh, this is going to recreate itself or this is what I'm used to, then we're continuing to... Um, not make progress, right. you know, like right. to, to, you know, like if, if I'm afraid that somebody, whether it's a partner in a, you know, intimate relationship or a friend or in a, at work is going to leave me or reject me because I experienced divorce and abandonment in my childhood, those, those things are not really correlated right. it's the way that i'm seeing them right, it's right. it's it's being fixated on that original thought and not seeing things the way that they are right right you know yes so instead of seeing that thought um giving it space being compassionate with the place that it comes from right um i'm I could let it run away with me right. and continue to cause me stress and suffering. Right, right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, and yeah, like it is the post traumatic stress and being aware of that. And um, yeah, it's interesting uh, stuff that you mentioned, and obviously uh, on a more personal level. Um, stuff has come up in, in our relationship and we've had to work on things and it's, you were kind of mentioning earlier, like not making progress. And, um, I don't know if you said it like doing the work. Um, but I mean, that's kind of, that's a huge part of it is like being aware and being committed to different practices that bring a different reality. Right. Um, and that's not fun all the time. Yeah. Um, it's very challenging um, to resist to reacting um, is, is hard. Um, and that's why things like, you know, practicing mindfulness and breathe, basically slowing down. Right. Um, so you can catch things. <laughs> before like you exercise something that you were like oh man i wish i didn't do that um at reacting least that, yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah 
Um, and that's why a, a lot in Buddhism or mindfulness, like they, they say the word I've noticed like practitioner or practicing cause it's a, it's a practice, right? right. Um, and on a neurobiological level, just by practicing mindfulness, you're building something in your brain called gray matter. You're rewiring your central nervous system. You're, you're doing a lot of things that, um, to create resilience to the post-traumatic stress to yeah. not be so deep into that sympathetic nervous system or, um, you know, how to, how to have resources and tools when you go into, you know, emotional shutdown and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing because it's a practice that, um, you know, like if you, if you want to start a physical fitness practice, you know, the first day it sucks. And maybe by the first, you know, the first month, it's a little bit easier, but you can notice physical changes in yourself. Right. Like, especially in the beginning, mm -hmm. um, you might not be getting to where you want to be within right. a month, but you at least notice right. some changes. And I think with meditation and mindfulness, Sometimes those those changes are not very apparent until uh, a long way down the road, but there really is no shortcut. You know, you can't say like, oh, I didn't meditate for the last week, so I'm just going to go meditate for like the whole day now to make up for it. You know, um, it really is just about consistency and over time like you said, creating that space, um, to have the observer mind or to have, um, a reaction time between the impulse that comes up that, that habit and not reacting to it. Right. Right. Um, I, I find that there's things that have happened within the last year, um, especially going through, you know, a lot of adversity in the last year and a half that, um, yeah, just uh, when that, when I, when I can observe them instead of reacting to them, being really, um, astounded and being like, wow, I wouldn't have handled that that way a year ago or no. a couple yeah. years ago. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, it only happens with consistency. Right. So with, with practice. Yeah. And I, I love how you use, that's probably my favorite analogy to use, um, with people is the physiological or like the fitness analogy, um, because it really does work exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's good for Westerners to think about it that way because we're not very internally trained. Yes. Um, and, you know, our minds are and our thought forms and our internal energies are for most of us are invisible. So yeah. just to kind of use that. Um, and I love how you said consistency, because really, I mean, that's that makes all the difference. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the same way that we talked about getting to a place where you can look back through your entire journey and mm -hmm. be and have some gratitude and acceptance around, oh, this is what it took. Mm -hmm. for me to reach liberation. Right. You know, Garchin Rinpoche talk, has talked about that in, in his own journey with actually feeling gratitude for being in prison for 20 years because 
it provided the opportunity to practice these things, to actually put these concepts of compassion into practice. Yes. And, you know, one of the things that he says that I really love is that people are either benefactors of love or benefactors of patience. And that, you know, if, if you're experiencing something that is adverse, is something that's negative, that, you know, you can either react to it or you can practice patience and, you know, compassion for that other person. And feeling, getting to a place where you feel gratitude for being in prison because it allowed you to um, purify your own karma, to grow your compassion, um, I think is a pretty incredible experience and a pretty incredible lesson. And um, one that I try to um, remember, maybe like one percentage of, you know, in, in comparison to Rinpoche, because he said. Sorry, it got cut off, but Johnson was sharing about how. Yeah, about Garchin Rinpoche and him being an incredible living example of um, cultivating these practices and um, the benefits of, of practicing. So in the same way that you might look at that super fit uh, bodybuilder at the gym and be like, hey, how, how can I get to this point? What, what, what can I do? And what are they going to tell you? They're going to be like, okay, eat this way every day and do these exercises every day. And after a certain amount of time, you'll look exactly like me. Um, and, you know, Garchin Rinpoche talks about that, you know, about exercising the mind in the same way that we exercise the, the body. And then we have to exercise our minds to build up the kind of, you know, quote unquote muscle or resiliency to be able to, um, to deal with these adverse situations that come up. That's perfectly explained. I would, and I used to be a bodybuilder <laughs> and I'll tell you what, being a bodybuilder won't automatically, uh, do mental exercise for you. Right. So, um, but that's, that's like the causes and conditions of a particular state. Yeah. So that's a particular physical state. Right. And you're not going to get there after one day no. or one week no. or one month. No. Right. It takes consistency. Well, you'll be on your way, sure. you know, day one, you got to have day one. So, yeah. Um, well, we wanted to end with some things that we practice and some resources and tools that you guys can utilize, um, in order to, um, practice on your own. Um, so one of the things I want to mention is the Calm app. Um, it's extremely affordable and it's, it's a great resource. I like it because I can just get up in any given morning and just press play and there's always a new meditation um and there's always a topic to focus on um and the topic varies sometimes it, it can be spiritual related buddhist related mental health related stress related it, it just all depends yeah um and then the the foundational practice is always there which is focusing on the mind you know when it drifts away and, the, and constantly bringing it back yep. um 
And then there, they have a ton of other programs on there. They do, yeah. I, I like Calm too. Um, I've used it for like three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other apps too, like Headspace. And there's a couple other ones that are like free. Um, I mean, I think that the bottom line is like, it's really not that difficult to get started. It's just about getting started, mm-hmm. you know, to, to take it back to the analogy we're using. You don't need to go to like the best gym in town to get started. You could do some push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups in the park, you know, and maybe at some point you want to check out a gym and check out some other things and some other programs, but like you, you know, it doesn't take a lot to get, to get started. Yeah. Um, there's tons of different um, Buddhist practices. You know, it's it's a you know, if you want to call it a religion, it's been around, you know, pretty much for, for as long as Christianity, a little bit longer actually. So there's plenty of different traditions that you can follow um, if if you're interested in learning about that. Um, you can find Garchen Rinpoche like online. Just Google G A R C H E N. Uh, Rinpoche and you'll find him Um, he has students all over the world Um, another teacher that we you and I both really like and follow is Thich Han. that's from a completely different um, lineage completely different country Um, and you know you mentioned Jack Kornfield too so it's like um, Buddhism is a really interesting um, thing in that it's in every country that it's gone to, it's taken on um, some of the culture and personality of that country. So I I am very intrigued by Jack Cornfield, you know, being an American um, Buddhist, and um, as as Buddhism has developed in America, like what what that means and how it's changed and um, how it reflects. Uh, Western ideas and incorporates and integrates them into um, these teachings and truths that are, you know, pretty much timeless. Yeah, I think you mentioned really good tools and resources and teachers. Um, and yeah, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to mention. Um, we actually have another tool to mention we have um we jonathan and i have started um a new brand and company called yin yang alchemy um and breath work has been another modality that's um evidence-based uh there's a lot of science behind it in terms of trauma release um it's a way of bypassing uh, a lot of things and just getting right to the limbic system where a lot of repressed and unprocessed memories and emotions lie um and it's a great way to just access deeper parts of yourself so um our first event is on june 6th june 6th um so be sure to look out for details of that um and any last comments uh jonathan Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. We're so grateful that you came on today um, with your wisdom and, you know, all of your experience. So we really appreciate you sharing. Um, And a lot of what I know about Tibetan Buddhism is because of Jonathan. So I'm super, super grateful. Um, 
I never thought I would I would get up in all these deities and stuff, but um, it's it's kind of, it's kind of fun actually. Um, so, anyways, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, this has been Ayahuasca Carr and and Jonathan Schechter, and this is the multi dimensional journey. And remember why you came here. <laughs>